This morning's sermon has a title. Now, I don't normally uh, get asked to give uh, titles for sermons. Um, so the, the title for the sermon this morning is Chicken or Egg Theology, uh, which might sound a, a little strange. Um, but no doubt you've heard of the infamous sort of philosophical question, uh, causality dilemma. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, it's a, it's a well-known uh, question, isn't it? And it's a, it's a riddle. It's meant to make you think and, and to question. And it's asking the complexities of cause and effect. Well, what caused the other? Uh, what came first? Uh, I asked my, uh, I'm a teacher normally by day, a primary school teacher. I asked my class this question uh, this week, just as a little uh, um, experiment. And we had a good five minutes of going around in circles uh, repeatedly until I had to step in and sort of, um, yeah, stop, stop the arguments. Um, but it's a, well-known, it's a well-known riddle. What came first? Was it, was it the egg? Uh, was it the chicken going back it, backwards and forwards? Well, why is that uh, chicken or egg theology then? That makes uh, a bit of a strange jump, doesn't it, to go from the chicken or what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, well, we have here a well-known story. I'm sure most people, if not all people, know this story very well of, of Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. And uh, it, it's well-known within uh, uh, children's songs and uh, um, storybook Bibles. Um, it's an important encounter because it teaches us something of what I've termed uh, chicken or egg theology. Um, because what comes first? Faith or repentance? Repentance or faith? And if you're here uh, this morning, which you uh, are, maybe there are some at home, um, this question is important for you to consider. And it doesn't matter whether you are um, a, a believer or, or, or not a believer. Perhaps you're, you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're a young believer or a, a seasoned believer. Uh, it's an important question for us to consider and to, to dwell on and, and think about. Um, because if you are a believer here this morning, um, it's right and it's good that you dwell on the depths of the salvation that you proclaim. What does it mean to be a Christian? What do all of these big theological words actually mean and how should I live them out in my life? We should wrestle with the theology of, of the atonement. We should strive to, to grasp everything that we possibly can do about Christ's work in our lives. Uh, if you're an unbeliever, it's vital that you understand the salvation that is being offered to you. Um, to know that it is impossible to repent without believing. But that it's also impossible to believe without repenting. Now, repentance is, is turning away from sin. It's turning our backs away from sin. So the theological riddle goes, well, how can a person truly repent, truly turn away from their sins, uh, without first acknowledging their sin and believing in their need for salvation? Um, how can they truly and unwaveringly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ without first repenting of their sin? So what do we do? Do we tear our hair out um, in the face of chicken and egg theology um, or throw our arms in the air and say, well, I, I, I don't understand? Well, thankfully, we have in God's word, and particularly in this passage here, those dual elements of salvation, those core elements of salvation at work in the life of a man. A man most commonly known for his height or his lack 
of height. Um, it's a familiar story, but it's one which reveals deep biblical truths about the way of salvation. So my first point this morning is this, the tax collector. Nice simple one to remember, the tax collector. Um, Luke begins uh, this encounter by telling us about this man. Verse 1. So he, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. There's not many details that we have about this man, Zacchaeus, uh, but we get some very clear, specific ones from Luke. Um, He was a chief tax collector. That was his job. That was his role. He was very rich, very wealthy, and he was very short, because that's what uh, uh, Luke carries on with in verse 3 and he was seeking to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature uh, stature now Zacchaeus has become something there's a temptation to make Zacchaeus something of a cartoonish character Uh, this little man trying to see Jesus he can sometimes be treated at at times a bit like a biblical uh, Rumpelstiltskin Um, but this little man who, you know, we know songs of and we could, um, we could sing the children's song, or perhaps you, you know it yourselves, um, is actually an important gospel figure. He's not meant to be here just as a, a little side character that we can sort of chortle at for his lack of height. Um, what we need to understand, though, is that his height was not his greatest need. There was a far deeper, far greater need that's exposed within his life as he meets Jesus. Because whilst he was short in height, he was far shorter in godliness. Now being short uh, can be a challenge, uh, having to ask for assistance to reach things in the supermarket, I'm sure. Uh, Not being able to see in the midst of a crowd like Zacchaeus, um, perhaps unkind jibes and nicknames. And you might think, well, it's easy for you to say, I'm, I'm Officially, I have to say I'm under six foot, but I'm about six foot. Um, So I'm I'm kind of taller than normal. Um, Taller than normal, that's that's a ridiculous thing to say. Taller than average is what I mean. Um, And I, you know, I'm certainly not short. You might think, well, it's easy for you to say, uh, uh, you know, uh, to to make comments about his, his height. Well, I'll tell you this. Until the summer of year 10, so when I was 15 years old, I spent the first 15 years of my life being the shortest child in my year. I had a massive growth spurt. Um, so I always say that to any children in my class who are, who are short. Um, don't worry. Get to year 10, you'll be okay. Um, but I, I had a growth spurt then. Until that point in time, though, I was the shortest. That meant every single class photograph, I was sat at the front on the floor. I was never given a seat or allowed to stand at the back. Uh, whenever we did uh, assemblies or class shows, I always had to have Uh, a a job at the front, because otherwise I wouldn't be seen at the back. Uh, I knew what it was like to be extremely short. Um, My name's Rich. Um, As a, uh, children are very imaginative, aren't they? As a a, a child and a teenager, um, I was affectionately known as Titch, Rich the Titch, uh, anything along those lines. So I know what it's like. I know what it's like to to lack height. I know what it's like to perhaps have names uh, given to me. Uh, perhaps Zacchaeus faced some of these issues. Well, we certainly know the issue of, of uh, having a crowd that he couldn't see over was a, a problem. Perhaps he'd struggled to see on many occasions in many different ways. Perhaps he'd been called many names throughout the years. Um, but his height was not 
his biggest issue. Nor was it the only source of, of derision from the people around him, from his own people. Because when we are introduced to Zacchaeus, it's very important that we're told that he was the chief tax collector. Um, he was a chief tax collector in Jericho. Now, Jericho was a very important city within the, the trade routes. Um, it was one of three major centers um, at the time. And um, so collecting taxes had made Zacchaeus very wealthy. Uh, it was a prominent position. It was a prominent area. It was a prominent job. Now, no doubt, as the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus didn't do much of the, the dirty work of collecting taxes. He didn't go around collecting them himself much these days as the chief tax collector. Um, his role was as the, the seedy middleman. He was like every dodgy character in a, in a crime uh, movie. He was the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. Um, R. Kent Hughes, who's an American theologian and a pastor, describes him as being the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. Uh, a bit um, over the top, perhaps, but you get the picture. This is a man who was meddling in a lot of affairs. And as a general rule, the tax collectors uh, in biblical times, in the ancient world, were swindlers and cheaters. It wasn't a profession that many went in with integrity at the forefront. Uh, now, no one, I'm sure, especially likes the taxman. Uh, today. Uh, my dad spent his life working in the tax office, um, so uh, I've got that going for me as well. Um, but um, today's tax system is, is very, very different, isn't it? Um, I've been working, uh, a working adult now for 15, 16 years. I've never seen a taxman. All my taxes, I'm sure many of yours, go out uh, into the, the faceless HMRC tax machine. Um, perhaps a self-assessment form needs filling in. It's very rare that you actually see a tax collector and if you do, you're probably in trouble. Um, but in the ancient world, they were literally collected person to person. They would go around the houses, perhaps with a, a big box, um, armed with a ledger to, to record um, the transactions that were going on. No doubt a couple of burly bodyguards along the way as well um, to, to keep the process going. Um, you see, taxes were a big part of the Roman Empire's um, divide and conquer strategy. They were integral to, to what made the Roman Empire so successful. They purposefully raised up individuals from the subjugated peoples, uh, so in this case, Israel. And they gave them authority to tax their own people. It was a way of, of dividing the people and having it so that the person who was uh, taking their taxes was actually one of their own. Um, and of course, that role often led than being seen as traitors by their own people um, as they skimmed money off the top. They were considered Roman collaborators. They were the worst of the worst. And so no doubt, that is why Zacchaeus was so unpopular. Um, why no one was giving this vertically challenged man time to see Jesus. No one had any time for him. It's why they objected a little later to him going, uh, Jesus going to his house of all the people. Why would Jesus associate himself with this man? He's a collaborator. He's a traitor. Why would Jesus even consider sharing a table with him? Why would a, a teacher um, of, of great notoriety, as Jesus was beginning uh, to have around that time, why would such a person lower themselves to spend time with someone as contemptible as a sinner, a tax collector of all? 
You see, what the people didn't understand as they, they grumbled in these ways and they um, complained about Zacchaeus and Jesus meeting with him, what they didn't understand was that Jesus' primary goal uh, during his time on earth was, was not to, re- to meet the, the rich and the wealthy. It wasn't to, to spend time with the, the righteous. It wasn't to commend the, the scribes and the Pharisees and, and meet the best of the best of the best. His purpose was to offer salvation. And to offer salvation for sinners. You see, salvation is for the outsider. Salvation is for the swindler. Salvation is for the cheat. It's for the outcast. In fact, salvation, the very salvation Jesus came to proclaim and then came to accomplish is exactly the salvation that a person like Zacchaeus needed. Jesus says it himself at the end of the passage in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, who was better for Jesus to come and seek and to save than this lost man? Yes, a man of uh, importance in a worldly perspective and uh, wealth and a, a job of, if not high esteem, high prominence. But Jesus came to seek and to save such a lost man. Well, perhaps you're feeling lost. Perhaps you um, have come here this morning and there's a sense of of being lost and and not knowing where you're going and grasping for something that you can't quite see. Um, Perhaps you recognize the the sin in your life. Perhaps you come here this morning knowing that there is something that that is not right, that there is something which is eating you inside. Such a sin might not be public and, and flagrant like Zacchaeus', uh, Zacchaeus was. Everyone knew about Zacchaeus. Everyone knew that he stole. Everyone knew uh, the way that he swindled. Perhaps that's not the case for you. Perhaps you're not public enemy number one like, like Zacchaeus was. But perhaps you are acknowledging that you need a savior. That you need to be saved. Well, the good news of the gospel The good news that we read in God's word is that the Jesus who was willing and able to encounter Zacchaeus is able to encounter you as well. Able to encounter you in your needs, whatever they may be. He is willing and he is able to save you despite anything you have done. Despite all the ways you've turned away from God. Despite all the ways you've sinned and 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 turned your back upon him, despite all the guilt that you might have. You are not a hopeless case. Zacchaeus was not a hopeless case. Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. To seek and to save even a tax collector. Even the chief tax collector. Well, we've seen the tax collector. Our second point this morning is this. The command, the command. Uh, Let's note that uh, Zacchaeus was actually looking for Jesus. He was going out of his way to encounter Jesus. He was curious. Uh, Perhaps uh, he'd heard the news of this son of a carpenter who was doing incredible things. Perhaps he'd heard of some of the miracles as they filtered through. Uh, Perhaps he'd heard of some of the remarkable healings um, of Jesus. 
he'd heard that the crowds were gathering around and he, he saw the commotion and he clearly knew that uh, there was something going on that he needed to be a part of, that he needed to hear. Because as Jesus passed through the city, a commotion was gathering. Perhaps they were whispering, well, there he is, there he is. Is that Jesus? Is that Jesus of Nazareth? Have you heard about him? I, I heard, I heard. He fed thousands with just a few fish and a few loaves. Did you hear that? I heard his friends were all fishermen. He's fishermen, he's got friends as fishermen. And even tax collectors. I heard he speaks and teaches parables full of wisdom and, uh, and might. Well, perhaps Zacchaeus was hearing some of these whispers and there was something building up within him. Um, he'd heard how sympathetic that Jesus is. Uh, he'd heard that he was um, somebody who actually spent time with those who were lowly. Well, whatever the reason, Zacchaeus was clearly drawn to Jesus. He was clearly drawn to him. He wanted to hear him. He wanted to see him. He wanted to encounter Jesus. And that's a reminder to us. It's something of a reminder, something of a rebuke. Sometimes those who want to encounter Jesus are not the people that we expect. No one would have expected that Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, um, felt a need to encounter Jesus. Perhaps they thought, well, he has nothing, no interest in spiritual things. He's got no interest uh, in uh, anything spiritual. He's just a Roman stooge. He's just somebody seeking to make a profit. But actually, as we see throughout this story, and from his actions in coming and seeking to meet with Jesus, there was clearly something within Zacchaeus that was beginning to move. There was clearly a hunger that was beginning to, 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 to start. There was something nagging at him to find out who Jesus really was. He wanted to know more. Well, are there people around us, uh, our friends, our family, our, our co-workers, our neighbours, who themselves are something of a Zacchaeus? Uh, who perhaps, for all outward appearance, uh, are not interested in spiritual things, and yet, inside them, there is something uh, eating away. There is a desire um, to to know something of salvation. Well, are we able to identify Zacchaeus in our own lives? Are we able to notice when they're, they're figuratively trying to climb into the sycamore tree? Are we willing to, to, to step out and make those conversations and, and have those words and, and encourage, challenge folks to, to, to come to church, to, to read the Bible, uh, to spend time in prayer? Are we able to encourage them to to really glimpse the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, well, Zacchaeus, moving on with the story, although he was uh, limited in height, he, he did the only thing that was available to him. Uh, he climbed up to the nearest sycamore tree to get a good view. Uh, we all know that from the, the song. Um, but just imagine that for a second. Just imagine that. This is a chief tax collector, one of the... Most prominent members of society, no doubt decked in fine clothing, um, a very uh, regal appearance, no doubt. This man scrambling up a tree to see Jesus. What an undignified act that is. What a, a, an impulsive act it might have seemed. We read in verse 4, he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. Well, what an encouragement that is uh, to us. Zacchaeus 
stopped at nothing to see Jesus. He didn't worry about what he looked like in the moment. He didn't worry about what it would appear for, uh, for a, a man such as himself to be sprinting down uh, and climbing up a tree. If you don't know Jesus, are you curious to find out more? Are you willing to take every opportunity to glimpse him, to find out more about him? Or like Zacchaeus, we should take every opportunity to grasp a look at the Lord Jesus Christ, to grasp more of who he is. And and that's as true of a believer as an unbeliever. If you're a Christian here today, are you desiring to see more of him day by day in your life? Are you seeking to grasp more uh, of his person, his character, and his loveliness? To see more of him in his word, to see more of him in the Bible, to cry out to him in prayer. Well, of course, the most remarkable thing about Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus uh, is not Zacchaeus' actions, although they are interesting and they are remarkable. The most remarkable aspect of this encounter is that Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus himself. We read in verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. You see, Zacchaeus didn't stop for Jesus. Jesus stopped for Zacchaeus. And he called him by name. How easy it is to read over these words and just pass that by. Why didn't he say, what are you doing in a tree? Why didn't he say, who are you? Why didn't he say, what a strange sight to see somebody decked out in nice clothing up a sycamore tree? He stops, he turns, and he says, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He called him by name. Because this encounter between a chief tax collector with a great need of godliness... And the Lord Jesus Christ is a reminder that Jesus, who attracted crowds wherever he went, who had people surrounding him wherever he went, was no mere teacher. He was no mystical celebrity. He was no simple street magician. He was no just a flash-in-the-pan character soon to be forgotten. This Jesus, who met with Zacchaeus in this moment, is the Son of God. And he knew Zacchaeus by name. Well, how did he know him by name? Because he'd known him for eternity. This is not just a, a man who uh, is, is walking around doing remarkable things, uh, getting the crowds all worked up. No, this is the Son of God. One part of the triune God. The Son who has existed before time, who was present in creation. He had known Zacchaeus for eternity. And so the simple act of of stopping and looking up into the tree and speaking his name points to the sovereignty of who Jesus really is. Because we we, we can't just walk into the street and see something unusual and expect to to say somebody's name and and to know everything about them. I challenge you, next next time you're you're walking down the street and you see a worker in a high-vis vest and he's doing some work up in... Uh, uh, and some scaffolding or something, you're going to stop and see if you can say his name straight away. It's not going to happen, is it? If it does, you'd be very, very fortunate indeed. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. 
This wasn't just a random guess at someone's name. He knew Zacchaeus, and he knew that Zacchaeus was seeking him. Jesus was on a mission to encounter and seek and save. So he did the most natural thing, of course. He invited himself round to Zacchaeus' house. Except, it isn't so much of an invitation as an imperative. It's a command. Speaking with all the divine authority that Jesus has, he commands the chief tax collector and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For I must stay at your house today. And this is the way that Jesus saves lost sinners. He enters our lives. He enters. In the words of uh, Matthew Henry, um, Jesus brings his own welcome. He opens his heart, uh, the heart and inclines it to receive him. You see, Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, but it was Jesus who commanded him to follow. Zacchaeus, come down, for I am coming to your house for tea. And this encounter points us to the wonderful way in which Jesus, uh, which we can know Jesus in a personal and a real way. When God calls a lost sinner, and he does so by the Holy Spirit, it is a command to come. A command. It's not a polite inquiry. It's not a gentle suggestion. Uh, it's not a, um, a, just simply uh, out of politeness. It is a command to receive him. The Holy Spirit changes our hearts and our minds, just like Zacchaeus, as we're going to come to in a second, uh, so that we're ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive him as our Lord and Savior. And theologically, we call that the effectual call of grace. It's when faith and repentance work together. When we forget uh, the nonsense of the chicken and the egg, and we realize that when Jesus meets our hearts and meets our needs, he does so through grace. And it breaks into our hearts and it blows our hearts wide open. Jesus enters our homes to change our hearts. And that's exactly what he does to Zacchaeus. This isn't just a, 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 a little tea party. This isn't just a dinner date. It's not just convenient for Jesus to stop before he goes to somewhere else. Jesus is about to enter the home and the heart of Zacchaeus. And so thirdly and finally, we have the change. We have the tax collector, we have the command, and now we have the change. You see, this encounter with Jesus has two effects in Zacchaeus. He doesn't brush it off. He doesn't say, oh, no, actually, um, I, just wanted to, I just, just wanted to see what was happening. I was just curious, but actually, I'd rather, I'd rather, you, didn't, I'd rather you didn't come. No, no, he, he responds. He responds, firstly, in faith. When Jesus calls him by name, uh, we can imagine his response as being quite dramatic. Thrilled at that. Verse 6, so he hurried, he came down, and he received him, how? Joyfully. There is joy in this man's heart. Now, perhaps it's a stretch to suggest that he practically fell out of the tree, but we can imagine that, the haste at which he went up being doubled as he came down. Um, my daughter's like that, my eldest daughter. She's nine years old. She loves climbing trees. Sometimes she climbs them up way too fast. Nearly always she falls down them a lot faster. Um, but we can imagine something of Zacchaeus in that. 
shooting up the tree to get that, that, that glimpse of Jesus coming by, being addressed by name and commanded, the haste with which he came down to follow Jesus. There is joy in his response. There is joy in his heart. There is joy in scrabbling his knees as he skirted down the trunk of the tree and caught his elbow and didn't matter. There was joy in his heart. A heartfelt desire to welcome Jesus into his home. He doesn't delay. He doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't uh, dither. He doesn't um, dwindle in his time. He responds from the command of Jesus and comes down. He believed Jesus as soon as Jesus commanded him. Now everything he had no doubt heard about Jesus, he was, it was dawning upon him, was, was true. That he really was a, a friend of sinners. He was a, a friend of tax collectors. He was a friend of those uh, who were downtrodden. He was powerful to he, heal. He was able uh, to perform miracles. And in his faith in Jesus, Zacchaeus was beginning to evidence his response to Jesus' command. We read in verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded uh, anyone or anything, I will restore it fourfold. You see, when, G- when Zacchaeus descends from the tree in his haste, what a remarkable response. He doesn't begin by asking Jesus for his autograph. He doesn't indulge in small talk. It's lovely to be here. Isn't it? Fantastic. Isn't the weather good today? He doesn't even say, well, what do you want to eat then? Well, I'll see what I can None of these things. When he comes down from the tree and he's confronted by Jesus, he does something incredible. He says to him, behold, Lord. Now, that's not just a title of respect. That's not just him demonstrating respectfulness to this esteemed man. It's more than that. It's much, 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 much more than that. You see, when Zacchaeus comes down from the tree and his first words are, Behold, Lord, that is a confession of faith. Well, how, you might say, how, how is that a confession of faith? Saying, Behold, Lord, that could easily be confused or just be something he says in the moment. No, no, no. It's the acknowledgement that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. He was exactly the prophesied Messiah. And that Zacchaeus, as a member of the people of Israel, who knew very well what that name Lord meant, was acknowledging, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. You are my saviour, you are the promised Messiah, you are exactly the one who has been foretold. And so this encounter with Jesus gives Zacchaeus faith in his saviour. A second effect that this encounter has on Zacchaeus follows on immediately. And it's just as profound as calling Jesus Lord. It's just as impactful as that faith. Straight away, he repents. He repents. Before he can finish saying, Lord, he's already repenting. He recognized his sin. He recognized the need to change his life. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. 
You see, this is a response of repentance in Zacchaeus' life. It's what the love of Jesus does to him. It's change within him. Faith and repentance, the dual works of salvation, changing this man's life. Because when Jesus comes into someone's life, change comes with it. Even though Jesus accepted Zacchaeus where he was and he he called him by name, he meets him in his greatest need. He doesn't dismiss him as being just a, a tax collector, being a sinner. The offer of salvation comes to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus responds with repentance. Now the love that Jesus extends to Zacchaeus demanded repentance, and we know that. Verse 6, we read the people's response to these events. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You see, the people saw what was happening. They saw this interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, and they muttered, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. Why is Jesus spending time with him? Look at how Zacchaeus responds. I've got four children, um, and whenever there's fallings out in the house, which happens multiple times every hour, every day, um, you can guarantee the responses. Whoever is the oldest within the scenario, typically, um, when you're trying to resolve what happens, in particular my eldest child, Bethan, she absolutely cannot stand injustice, even though she's just as quick to, to do the unkind thing. Um, but if one of her younger siblings has done or said something, no matter what we try and resolve and try and you know, listen, to the, listen to the event that's happened and try and uh, um, you know, make some peace uh, within uh, the, the, you know, their relationship and what they're doing, it will always come back to, yeah, but she did that. Yeah, but she said that. Yeah, but I can't, I can't control myself. That's her favorite thing to say. I can't control myself because she did this. That's not how Zacchaeus responds, is it? When he hears the, the, the grumbles, he hears everything that's said by uh, the crowd, and, uh, and he, he's processed all these things, and he's demonstrating faith and resp- uh, repentance, he doesn't respond to the people with anger. He wasn't defensive. He wasn't trying to argue with them. Well, why not? It's because his sin had genuinely dawned on him. That's why we know that his words of repentance in verse 8 really are words of repentance. He realized, yes, I I understand what I've done. All those years of sinning and and stealing crashed down on him like a flood. And he stood in front of Jesus and all the crowds and made a proclamation of repentance. In a simple sentence, he confessed his greed. He he confessed his selfishness, his covetousness. He confessed his um, extortion, his theft. He confessed the state of his heart because he'd been convicted of it in this encounter with Jesus. Well, just as we finish now, anyone who wants to be saved must follow Zacchaeus' example. Anyone who seeks to be saved must follow his example. It might be that you're struggling with with sin. It might be something that you're struggling with that's eating at you inside. If that's the case, confess it before God. Confess it before the living God. It might be that you've been sinned against by other people, that you're harboring uh, uh, feelings of angst against others. Well, first of all, recognize your own sin and confess it before God. Take Zacchaeus' lead on repentance. 
He doesn't point the fingers. He realizes himself and he proclaims that sin before Jesus. Turn away from sin and turn to the living God. And you can do so with the knowledge that he is faithful, that he is merciful, that he is gracious. The dual elements of faith and repentance were at work in the life of Zacchaeus. And they're on offer to you. Was it faith first or repentance first? Well, it doesn't really matter. They're twin graces. They're twin graces. They're at work when a sinner comes with empty hands, crying out for the grace of God. So if you're an unbeliever here this morning, that is, that is what you need to do. You need to come with empty hands, crying out for the grace of God. And there's an urgency uh, to that. Zacchaeus uh, resolves to be accountable for his sins, to deal with them seriously, to turn to the living God. Well, if you're a Christian here this morning, what do you notice uh, about this man's actions? Well, he was immediate in his, in his contrition. And sometimes it's easy to forget that as Christians, we're called to repent daily. We're called to, to come before the Lord daily and confess our sins. Not that we might renew our salvation, but that in knowing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming him as Lord, he will hear and he will uh, delight in us repenting. So do we do such things? Do we, do we turn to him daily? Do we cry out daily for forgiveness? Do we cry out uh, that we might be filled with joy day to day? So that as we live out our lives, whether that's at home, as part of our family, whether that's in work, whether that's amongst our neighbours, our colleagues, that we demonstrate joy. And that joy is rooted in the mercy that we have received. If you're a Christian, uh, that is a great challenge uh, to you. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. Sinners such as ourselves.